It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I hope that uh, it is good for y'all to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, you know, it's always good to be saved. Sometimes we, we kind of miss the significance of that, but it's always good to be saved. This morning, we're going to talk about the truth of God, the truth of God. The Lord has continued to lead me into some passages uh, that I believe are applicable for our day. All, all of the scriptures are reverent, of course. Um, but there are some passages that kind of appeal to us in the times that we're in. You know, it, it's often been said when you're, when you're kind of feeling low and down and life is kind of too much, is to read through the Psalms. And it's a, it's a great encouragement uh, to read through the Psalms. You can get through them. I mean, I know there's 150 of them, but you can get through it at a good pace, 15 minutes a day, in, in about a month. Uh, and they will bring uh, encouragement to your heart. Uh, so I believe that God brings us to passages that encourage us, and today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, let's just go ahead and, and, and jump right into the Word of God this morning. Uh, look right there at verse number 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says, Paul writes, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, Haiti, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, those two believed to be uh, the priest of, uh, of the Pharaoh there, uh, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou wast fully known, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecution I endured, but of them all the Lord delivered to me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we've sang to you this morning, it is well with my soul, and it is only well with my soul because of, because of you and because of your Son, Lord. You redeemed me, Lord, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. We, we, we gather here together as your redeemed children, Lord, all because of your blood, and all because of the blood shed on the cross of Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for you this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you meet with us. Lord, help us to ignore that, what's going on in the world and what's going on in our agendas, what, what's planned for tomorrow, or maybe what troubled us this past week. Let us put it all aside, Lord, and focus on you. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see you high and lifted up today in our hearts and in the midst of us, Lord. Where two or three are gathered, Lord, you are with us. 
And Lord, and I trust that that's the true statement this morning. Help us this morning as we look at your word. Help us to lift you up in these words. Help me to preach your word as you've been given to me, Lord. And I, I thank you again for the opportunity to do this today, Lord. And we gather in your name, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Lord, we thank you again for being here. And again, we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. And just a little situational awareness, this is the Apostle Paul's last letter. This is the last letter in scriptures that we have from Paul, and certainly the last letter to Timothy. And most scholars hold to the fact that Paul was martyred shortly after writing this letter. Uh, and we can't, of course, be adamant about that, but we do get an inclination of that being a true statement. As a matter of fact, if you go over just one chapter to chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 6. Paul writes to Timothy in the last chapter, just before he just signs off forever, he says, For I am now ready to be offered at the time of my de- and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearance. So this, this passage here really hints at Paul's awareness. I don't think Paul could say, I have fought the good fight, if he was just going to stop being in the ministry. I don't think he would have said that. I think he knows his, his life on this, on this earth is coming to an end. And as a side note, we can see that Paul was looking forward to his crown of righteousness. Looking forward to what he can give to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just for him only, but look at that. Unto all them also that love is appearing. That's talking about you and me. That when we get there, we have fought our good faith and, and, and lived our lives properly. We can have a crown of righteousness that we can give right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's because of him anyway. And in this last writing from Paul to Timothy, I mean, think about it. If you were writing a letter, I mean, Paul considered Timothy his son in the faith. That's how close he got. Now, now if you have children, you have, you have sons and daughters, and you knew that your days were ending, and you were writing a letter, what would you put? It'd be a little bit significant than the first letter you wrote, right? It makes a little, it makes, it has a little bit more weight. Now, all scripture is inspired. We've already read that today. But I think Paul no doubt wanted to make sure this last letter included everything possible that he hadn't already talked about and maybe even re-emphasize some of the things he already talked about to prepare Timothy for the road ahead. For the road ahead. And there's much to learn from these four short chapters, but their brevity is not an indication for a lack of substance. We all know that's true. On the contrary, we find much richness, much richness in his words. And in our text this morning, we find Paul, back there in chapter 3, we find Paul warning Timothy and us of what's on the horizon. Things that are, that are coming, and even already here. And we've read this already. It says there, there uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. But these chapters are not entirely prophetic, as one would think from that, from that phrase there. But rather, Paul's reference here to the last days are these days. They were Timothy's days. In fact, they're the entire church age. If you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, just the first few verses there, uh, I love the book of Hebrews, especially the way it starts. You know, all, if, you know, we don't know who wrote it for sure. I have some indications and maybe, maybe we have some opinions about that, but we don't know for sure who the, the human penman was. But of all Paul's writings, they start with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says God. 
God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past, times past, the Old Testament, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So that puts, that puts Timothy, that puts Paul even, and us in the last days. We are all in the last days. So these predicted perilous times were in Timothy's day. They were in our day. And they will be here tomorrow. And, and they will be there until the Lord returns. But there's a difference between Timothy's day and our day. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Paul writes to Timothy, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So although it's all the last days, they're going to get worse and worse and worse, and I think one of the devil's tricks is to make it appear not as bad as it used to be. We're not, in, there's no Holocaust going on today that we know of. There's no World War II. Times are great and all these things, but don't be fooled because that's contradictory to the Bible. Contradictory. The difference is found again right there in verse number 13. In other words, just like God didn't deliver the Israelites from Egypt until the iniquity of the Amorites was full, neither will he rapture this church until evil men and seducers wax worse and worse and worse until that is climaxed. Now God is certainly on his own timeline, but because of his pure and honest attributes, he is bound to his word, which states that evil shall come to pass. So what, how do we react to these things? What is, what is Paul trying to get across to Timothy? How is he trying to prepare him in his Death letter or deathbed letter, if you will. So number one, I want to look at verse number ten. We're going to jump around this chapter here, but look at verse number ten. Verse number ten says, "Thou hast fully known my doctrine." That was fully known my doctrine. Now I want to point out this morning, number one, in our first, however you want to call that, but we must know the truth. We must know the truth. The doctrine that Paul is referring to here is, of course, his God-inspired teachings of Scripture. It's what Paul wrote. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We see that again at the end of this chapter. But his Scriptures, the Apostle Peter, mind you, also considered Paul's writings to be Scripture there in 2, Timothy, or 2 Peter chapter 3. But today we would call this, if we were to look at this, if, if I were to write this to, to Jeff and I would say, you know, thou hast uh, fully known my doctrine, I would say, you, you know my statement of faith. You know where I stand. You know, uh, you know what my doctrines are. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. It's like he's saying, you know exactly where I stand on the issues. Timothy, you know where I stand. Remember, perilous times are coming. You know where I stand on these things. And you know, and because you know where Paul stood on those things... Paul, in my mind, in my takeaway here, he is conveying to Timothy that you know where God stands on the issues. Because these are God's words. You know God's, you know God's stance, His position. Because He, Paul, to Timothy, has faithfully taught these truths. And there's an implication there for us today who are not Timothy. We've not been taught by the Apostle Paul. So... For us to fully know his doctrine, which is God's doctrine, we must study. We must study to show ourselves approved, as he wrote there in 2 Timothy 2.15. So the implication is to know the truth. We must know the truth. Listen, I, I think it's very clear that Paul is trying to get across perilous times are here. And perilous times are coming, which will bring a type of person that this passage tells us that has a form of godliness denying the power of God. Perilous times will come bringing in a type of people who are boasters, blasphemers, false accusers, and despisers of those that are good. Despisers of those that are good. Does that ring any bells today? 
despisers of those that are good. Perilous times will come, and they're already here, bringing wicked men who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If Timothy or us want to be able to find our way through the tangled webs of life today, we must know the truth. We must know the truth. And considering Timothy ministered under Paul for quite some time, and we have many of Paul's writings ourselves, we too can know the truth this morning. Isn't that great? That we can know the same truth that Timothy had, that Paul has, and that God has. And if you think about it, it's all truth. Truth is truth. We too can know the truth. We can know God's doctrinal statement. You know, God has a statement of faith. We have it. This is God's doctrinal, His doctrinal faith, uh, statement of faith. And from a systematic study of Scripture, we come up with our own statement of faith. Every New Testament church, I believe, should have a statement of faith. This is what we believe. These are the things we're not going to move on. We should have these things. And the most paramount of these truths is the identity of God. It stops. It starts, rather, at, at God. Paul is telling Timothy, Thou hast fully known my doctrine. And if the implication for us is to know Paul's doctrine, which is, of course, doctrine itself, the, the teachings of the Word of God, what the greatest thing of that doctrine, because we could sit here a long time, Thou hast known my doctrine. So for us to study the doctrine, we can be here, we can go through the entire book of Romans talking about what we should know. But we're going to start with just one this morning, and it's the most paramount one, is the, the identity of God. You know, God is our creator. He is our creator. There's no way around it. He is also our redeemer. Without God, there's no life. And without God, there's no redemption. God created all. He created you. He created me. And because of the sin passed down from Adam, through Noah, through all the people before us, and even our fathers, we have sinned. We, we inherit sin. And then because of our choice to sin... We are also guilty of sin ourselves. So we inherit it. We have sin by inheritance and by volition. And if God created us and we are sin, we are sinful, then the Bible says we are an enemy of God. An enemy of God. You know, I know that we have believers here today. And I know that a church gathers together to worship God because we have God within us. But I hope that sinks in to those who are not sure. We are an enemy of God without God. Only God can reconcile us to himself, not us. We are his enemy. He is perfect and righteous. We are not. It's that simple. We're an enemy of God. And I think many times, even before I was saved, I would go through life thinking, well, I'm all right with God. You know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a, I'm not a contract thief or whatever. You, know, you can go all those, all those things. I'm not okay with God. But that's not, that's not what counts. Am I redeemed? If I'm not redeemed, I am an enemy of God. That's black and white. One way or the other. Again, I hope that sinks in. He is righteous. We are not. We are sinners. But it just doesn't stop there, does it? Because God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And Paul says in, in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He finishes that verse by saying, I am chief. So let me get this. Let me just put all this together. If you're like me and you're a sinner, and by the way, you are. Maybe not like me, but you're a sinner. <laughs> I don't know what that amen was for. <laughs> The center of our amen. The Bible says, For all the sin that comes short of the glory of God. 
then you know, if you know that truth, and you know all these things that I've said is true, then you know that God loves you, because we just read that, and that He sent His only begotten Son for you into this world to save you. We just read that. And since Romans 10, 9 said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then verse 13 of Romans chapter 10 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we get this now. We're born as enemies to God. We're born in darkness. We have no life. We have no chance, no hope. But God commended His love toward us. And while we were in that no hope situation, and He died for us. And He's calling us. He's wooing us to Christ. He's wooing us. And all we have to do is believe in our hearts that God said who He said He is. And call upon Him and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you know all those things already, then as a Christian, as a believer, as a child of God, you know that the most viable truth on this planet is your position in Christ. That is the most viable truth that you will ever know is your position in Christ. Listen, there are, there are going to be times that are tough. Paul said perilous times will be coming. He even says to endure hardness in chapter 2 here as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And there, about, there may be a lot of moving things in this world, but we can, we can stand on the unmovable fact that we are a child of God. A child of God. Paul is saying perilous times are coming, young Timothy. Perilous times are coming, Hohenfels Baptist Church. But nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, I look at, I look at that verse there, verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. You know, he's talking about these perilous times, these, these naysayers that are coming along. Uh, so do these men also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the vase, verse 8. But they shall proceed no further. You know, there's a preacher, I won't mention his name, but he preached a message some 40 years ago. And he was talking about that, that passage there in Luke where they were crucifying Christ. And, the, and, and Luke writes that this is their hour. Right? This is the world's hour. They're putting Christ... They think they're getting away with things. They think they're, they're, they're just in charge of the whole world because they're crucifying the Son of God. But God inspires Luke to say, that's their hour. My hour is coming. My hour is coming. And right here we see that right there. But they shall proceed no further. To, the, to all of those that crucified Christ, to the, to the high priest, to the Roman soldiers... Sunday was coming. <laughs> Sunday was just around the corner. And for one day, the rapture is coming, and they shall proceed no further. You know, knowing Jesus literally makes, literally makes a world of difference. Your whole outlook on life is different. Everything changes. Everything. And if your relationship with Christ has not yielded an everything changes kind of life, we look at it. We look at it and make sure that you have a home in heaven. And if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't called upon Him to save you, then look at, look at this verse here. They will be, you will be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's the beginning of knowledge? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It begins with us today by trusting Christ as our Savior. You can have all the book knowledge in the world, all the world's wisdom, but if you don't know Christ, you're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you want to know the truth? You know Jesus. He is the truth. 
accept him as your Savior. And again, I don't... I would love to stay there for a long time, but it's more than just turning over a new leaf in your life. It's more than just starting a new chapter in your life. You're a new book. It's a whole new book. You're a new creation in Christ. Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But as we can see in the text, the truth sometimes comes at a price. It comes at a price first to God, but then it comes at a price after the fact to us. Because not only should we know the truth, look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known in my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Elystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Not only should we know the truth, we should suffer for the truth. We should suffer for the truth. You know, the Lord led me in a kind of a different way here for this passage, but I was thinking about this. You know, other than Jesus himself... When he was on the cross, there was one other person at Calvary that knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was who he said he was. And that was his mom. That was Mary. At least his Mary. His earthly mother, Mary. She was visited. Let me get this now. She was visited from a heaven by the angel Gabriel. She miraculously conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. She knew that she had never been with a man before Jesus was born. And then along with Joseph, she witnessed Jesus' perfect life from the cradle to the cross. She knew. And while she suffered, the Bible says, the piercing of her own soul, watching her son be crucified, we don't hear a word from her saying, oh, it's, never mind, I lied. We don't see any of that. She suffered. Mary suffered for her own son. Not a word from her doubting the divinity of Christ, which I think adds to the authenticity of Scripture. If Jesus was not who he said he was, surely his own mother wouldn't have played along with that with something as harsh as a Roman crucifixion, she suffered for the truth. But it wasn't her suffering that brought us redemption. It was the man on the cross. It was the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, His suffering brought, uh, brought us and brought us redemption. Our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Wait a minute now. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, where did Christ end? On the cross. On the cross. We must be crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 talks about. And Jesus himself says we must bear our own cross. We must carry our cross. This is something Paul got a hold of. He, 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 he knew it in the depths of his heart and in his being. He knew what it meant to be crucified with Christ. He got a hold of that. He learned not only through his spiritual experience, but also through physical experience. And he's trying to get Timothy to get a hold of that. And teaching us that persecution and afflictions are coming. Look at verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. No, not might. Shall. Shall. And I, when I first wrote this, I preached from this passage, not this message before, but from verse number 12. And I think the, the opening statement of, of that sermon there, a few years back, even before I was a pastor here, if we're not suffering for Jesus, are we living for Jesus? Now that's not a hard and fast rule, but it is a good question to ask ourselves. If we're not suffering for Jesus, are we living for Jesus? Because all that live godly shall suffer. Not all the godly. We could be saved and not be living godly, right? 
of course we're I'm not, I'm not the only one that's done that, you know. So we can be positionally in Christ, but not practically in Christ. And if we're not practically in Christ, eh, I mean, the world don't care who you are. The world likes lukewarm Christians. But if you're hot for the Lord, if you're on fire for the Lord, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. You're going to stand up, and people are going to try to knock you down. If our so-called version of the truth is not suffering for, then it probably isn't true even to us. If we falter or give in to the pressures and persecutions of life, and it changes how we believe, and it changes our perspective, then we probably didn't believe in the truth that we claim to believe in the first place. God, through Paul, is telling us that we must know the truth and be prepared to suffer for that truth. Because evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. You know, it's no surprise that we enjoy the peaceful times in life. I enjoy peaceful. I don't like conflict. It's the last thing. I don't like conflict with my son, my wife, anybody. I mean, it's hard to, to get through those conflicts. I can't preach if there's conflict in my heart. It, you'll know it. Trust me. We don't like conflict. We want peace. And Paul says, as much as life in us to live peaceably with all men. But we know that peaceful times are only possible because someone or some people made it possible. Whether it's the Lord Jesus Christ and our spiritual peace or people in this life will, will provide peace. But when the perilous times come, we're not to fret. We're not to worry. The Bible says we're not even to be surprised. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. And Peter wrote in his epistle, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. So he's like, if you're living a Christian life, and then you know, somebody oppresses your Christian life, Peter's like, well, no kidding. You know, you're living for the Lord. The world is not of the Lord. That not of the Lord. Uh, we should follow the Lord, not of the world. In other words, know the truth this morning. Don't be surprised by the trials. Be prepared for them. Suffer for them. And truthfully, only the truth is worth suffering for. And when the suffering begins, you'll be able to see exactly what you hold to be near and dear. You will know exactly what the truth is, what you even believe to be the truth. You know, of all the apostles, we see Peter denying Christ at the fire barrel, if you will, right before the crucifixion. But all the apostles, we never hear any recanting at all, all the way to their death. And, the, and some of them endured some violent deaths. Is that what our faith is? Can we hold fast until the end and suffer for the truth? I hope so. So know the truth. Suffer for the truth. And then look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee one unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in the truth. Know the truth, suffer for the truth, continue in truth. No matter what comes our way, we must continue. We must stay the course. Be not weary in well-doing, Galatians 6.9 says. We must continue, as this verse specifically says, in the things we know to be scripturally true. We must continue. And he gives a couple things here. A couple things here. Look at verse 14 again. But continue in the things, two things here, which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. So number one, we must continue in the things that we have learned, that we have been taught. Now get this now, Timothy was whose disciple? He was Paul's disciple. He was a disciple of Paul. And what he learned, he learned from the Apostle Paul. 
And Paul could say with a certain peace of mind, even in the Scriptures, to Timothy to continue in what Timothy has learned. Think about that for a moment. Paul was confident that he was teaching him the right things. So much that in the Scripture, God inspired that to Timothy says, what I've taught you, stick to it. Stay with it. Stay with it. Paul could say with peace of mind to continue in what he learned because he knew what Timothy knew. He taught him. And because of that, he could also write to Timothy that thou should continue in the things thou hast been assured of. To continue, number one, in the things that we have learned and then continue in that which we are confident. That's in things we are assured of. That word, that phrase rather, assured of, is one word in the Greek and it's closely related to faith, but kind of faith in action, kind of, kind of to be fully persuaded of something. Continue in what you have, what you know to be confident. I like to say it this way. We must continue in our convictions. In our convictions. And for Timothy, those convictions are to be based on what he's been taught. So Timothy, or Paul taught Timothy. Paul says, continue in what I've, I've taught you and continue in the convictions that I've conveyed to you. I've heard long time before, convictions are better caught than taught. Right? We've heard that before. Uh, and many other things like that. And Timothy is catching, if you will, Paul's convictions. And Paul is telling him to continue in those things. Continue in those things that you are assured of. And I want to point out, not because they were Paul's convictions, but because they were based on the Word of God. These convictions Paul had because God gave them to him. And while we have a lot of so-called Christians today, so-called professing Christians in the world today, I wonder how many live by their convictions. I mean, there was a time in my life that I had many convictions and I just ignored them. As a Christian, shamefully so. That was not the example that you want to follow. But we need men today, men and women, boys, girls, young people, teenagers, to follow their convictions and make sure those convictions are based on the Word of God. I wonder how many live by their convictions today. Do you live by your convictions? You know, we almost look down our noses at those who have convictions. And those who have convictions have the tendency to be condescending to those who don't share those convictions. But if we are to be Christ-like, we need to continue in our convictions with love and make sure those convictions are based on the book. And again, Christians, we should be a people of conviction. There should be things in this wicked world that cross us. I mean, I don't want to raise your hand, but if you ever told a lie and you feel it in the pit of yourself, you feel it there. You know it's there. That's a conviction. You've crossed your conviction. And our closeness with the Savior and His Word in our hearts should be a guiding light. That right there should be a guiding light in this dark world. Every Christian, every single Christian should have deep convictions that they can feel in the depths of their heart. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Continue in those convictions. Follow those convictions. God wants us to continue in what we have been assured of. And then notice verse 14 again. He says, continue in what you have learned, what you are confident of, knowing of who you learned them from. We kind of already went around this a little bit. But I'm going to say some obvious things here. Timothy learned from Paul. He was a disciple of Paul. He was, he was his student. And while this is something we accept, we read that, we understand that, is this kind of relationship between Paul and Timothy... 
Is that something we often see today? Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. In our day, with the world being on our fingertips and many competing influences that enter into our homes and even to our churches, the likelihood of a Timothy is not so great. It's rare. Not that any truth is bad. Don't get me wrong there. But notice that Timothy didn't learn from the twelve apostles. He learned from Paul. Polycarp, one of the, one of the, churches, one of the early church's fathers, didn't learn from all the twelve apostles. He learned from John, from one apostle. He was a disciple of him. And all throughout the church age, we see great men come and go, most of them discipled by a man that God put in their life. And there are, of course, exceptions. D.L. Moody would be an exception. Charles Spurgeon would be an exception. God's raised great men like this. Paul himself would be an exception. But the pattern of discipleship is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Twelve men following one man. And we can even go and farther in there. There's some great examples, you know. Paul, or, or the Lord Jesus Christ, discipled twelve, but three in a circle, and then another three in a greater circle, and then another three in a greater circle, and then, you know, so forth like that. And as, what's the span of control in the army? Three to five? It's right out of the Bible. Maybe they don't say that, but it's right out of the Bible. We influence three to five people. And those three to five people should have three to five people they influence. So forth, so forth, and so forth. And the twelve apostles were discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they in turn discipled others. Peter to Mark and maybe even Barnabas. John to Gaius and Polycarp. Paul to Timothy, Titus and so forth. So we are not to grow through a global collections of teachings today. We are to grow where we're planted. In the local church. God using that global collection of truth teachings submitted to the word of God and we grow together. This is God's idea. The masses of online preaching and I'm not getting it, I get it all, I use it myself. But this is where our discipleship should be happening. Where we are planted. And of course this teaching is ultimately, our learning is ultimately not of Paul or a pastor or a deacon or something like that, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was true for Paul, it was true for Timothy and it should be true for us. So the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us, but today specifically, through the Holy Spirit and through His Holy Word. In one verse we see that. In John 14, 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. So the Holy Spirit confirming the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Spirit and God's Word together. That's our discipleship at, at the top. But then as Paul says, follow thou me. So pick men in your life and follow them as they follow the Lord. But again, the Holy Spirit is the master discipler. So God's Spirit and God's Word, which leads me to my last point. We should know the truth. We should suffer for the truth. We should continue in the truth. And then we should know the source of truth. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. We won't be here too long. But the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So no surprise, the source of truth is, is the Word of God. That shouldn't surprise any of us. It's profitable. Why? So that the man of God may be perfectly, uh, perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto good works. So we see a great pattern there. The Word of God enables the man of God for the work of God. The Word of God enables the man of God for the work of God. That's how it happens. 
And you can even add in guided by the Spirit of God. So if we want to be used by God today, whether you're a preacher or a deacon or just newly saved, get in the book. Get in the book. I probably say that a lot, but I can't say it too much. Get in the book. If we want to be, if we want to be in the work of God, and we want to be a person of God, we must be in the Word of God, guided by the Spirit of God. Get in the book. If we want to face the perilous times and know the truth in these areas, we must be in the book. This is, this is our, our guideline for living. You know, you ever see those books in, in some of the stores, this is how you make jelly, or this is how you do this. This is how we live. This is the book of life. Not just where we receive life, but how to live that life. You know, there was a famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon in England. He said that we should visit many books. We should visit many books as possible, but live in the Bible. Live in the Bible. Again, perilous times are coming. We need to know the truth. And the truth is found in the Word of God. Let's pray.